If you've uh, been uh, a policeman in the United States these past few uh, months, you'll know that uh, it's not been an easy one. I know we haven't got any policemen from the United States here tonight, but it was just to get your attention for a moment. The, uh, the police officers in the United States of America have had a tough time these past months as one after another uh, their colleagues have been called out by phone call to help somebody and then they've been brutally murdered. Now as every shift begins in every police force throughout that country, uh, officers are told, when you least expect it, expect it. They're also told, watch out for what is out of place. A recent study on police killings has as its bottom line, it says, complacency kills. Makes stark reading, but it makes it point, doesn't it? And uh, they've also taken this to uh, the police academy where they train people. New recruits must now walk past memorials to those murdered officers, which gives their names and explains how they died. You never know what's going to happen. Keep your eyes open, is the strap line. Don't be complacent. Complacency kills. Complacency can be a killer, can't it? It's true in many walks of life. Uh, if you get complacent about driving, especially these past few weeks in the uh, freeze that we've had, in the snow and in the ice, uh, one day, it may have been you, uh, these past few weeks, you've had a prang when you've never had one for years before, just perhaps got a little bit complacent in the ice. But it could have been worse. Get complacent if you're a doctor and it may lead to wrong diagnoses, it may lead to a wrong prescription, or it may lead to worse. Get complacent about being a parent and it may lead to your children in some way uh, harming themselves or worse. Complacency is very dangerous. Sometimes it can be fatal. But no complacency is more dangerous than spiritual complacency. Thinking that we have arrived spiritually and then slackening off or just coasting in our commitment with God, freewheeling. Doing that will mean that we will forget him and we will face just what uh, Moses was warning the people of Israel that they would face in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. That's exactly why Moses spoke up and said what he did. And the message tonight can be summed up very easily. Don't get complacent. Don't forget God, otherwise you will get off track. And the consequences will be fatal and will be eternal. Just let me paint the picture, just in case you haven't been in Deuteronomy uh, recently. The situation is as follows. The people of God have been rescued from Egypt, and uh, they found themselves on the edge of the promised land, Canaan. They're about to enter into it. Ironically, 40 years before that, the previous generation had found themselves in exactly the same situation. But they had become complacent. They had forgotten God. They had refused to obey him. Their behaviour cost them their lives, just as it cost them entering the land. And so Moses says to the people, do not follow in their footsteps. Don't become complacent, don't become disobedient and forgetful of God, or else you will face God's judgment. 
you will end up like your parents' generation. Those words are, I think, uh, words in season for us as we end one year and we begin another one. Because you and I, if you're a Christian person here tonight, we are heading towards a promised land, a place foreshadowed by Canaan, not a physical piece of land that you can find on this earth at this time, but a wonderful new perfect world, free from illness, from sickness, from death. God's kingdom, heaven. And the point is is that if you and I want to make it there, then we must avoid spiritual complacency. We must not forget the Lord. Moses gives God's people then, and he gives us tonight, three things to remember about God so that we don't forget him. There's something from the past in verses 1 to 5, something in the present, 6 to 18, and then thirdly, something in the future, verses 19 to 20. And notice how we go through that that each time the things that we are to remember are rooted in obedience to God's word. You may have heard it as it was read for us tonight. 8 verse 1, we are to follow every command so that we may increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord walking in his ways and revering him. Verse 11, Observe his commands. And then verse 20, obey the Lord. Uh, The message, just in case you didn't get it from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11 says, uh, sorry, verse uh, 7 says this, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not let your hearts be hardened. Listen, heed and obey. A missionary uh, translator was finding it somewhat difficult to uh, translate the word for obedience into uh, the native language in which he was working because obedience wasn't really part of that people and part of the culture. And one day as he returned to uh, his village, he whistled for his dog and it came running at full speed straight to him and nearly knocked him down. And this was noticed by an an elderly gentleman who said very admiringly, your dog is all ears. Your dog is all ears. And immediately the missionary knew that he had his translation. You see, to obey is to be all ears. To obey God is to be all ears to him. This is where remembering God begins. Because if we fail to obey what he says, we will forget. And that will have eternal consequences. And it's amazing, as we go through these verses, you'll see how faithful God is constantly. But 8 verse 1, the Lord promises to give, and he does give. We promise to be faithful, and so often we aren't. So first off, first off, remember God's lessons in the past. Remember God's lessons in the past. Again, it's in the context of verse 1, being obedient to his word. And then verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
Now, it's worth uh, saying at this stage that when the Bible speaks about remembering, it means far more than just remembering, say, an answer to trivial pursuit, or remembering someone's email address, or perhaps uh, remembering someone's mobile phone number. In the Bible, there's, there's an implication that when we remember, we act on that remembrance. We, we act, we commemorate, we honour, we learn. It's a bit like what we do in November. November the 5th, remember, remember? The 5th of November. And so we remember it. And woe betide anyone who thinks about being treasonous to the country. And then on November the 11th, Remembrance Day, we say we will remember. And we do. We actively commemorate. We don't want to forget. We want to learn from their example of the past. And to learn from the failings of the past. And so uh, for the Israelites to be told that they were to remember was to learn from God, from God and how he had led them all the way, all of the time, so that, verse 2, they learned to be humble and grew spiritually obedient. The lessons that they learned were, were sometimes very painful indeed, but they were good for them. God helped them to learn to follow him so that they would enter the land that he was promising. Verses 3 and 4. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. I think more often than not, when we look at these passages, when we look at those 40 years, we see them as punishment. And of course, it was. That is part of the truth. But Deuteronomy also tells us that it was God's school of discipleship. It was like the desert classroom, if you like, in which God's people learned vital lessons about him and about themselves. So verse 3, it's about humbling them and testing them so that they learned to trust God alone and not themselves. When uh, John F. Kennedy was President of the United States of America, he had a plaque on his desk in the Oval Office of the White House. And it simply said this, O God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. He realised, didn't he, what many of us refuse to believe and to realise, that however great we may think we are and the world may think we are, We are all insignificant and inadequate compared to God. He had learned that even though he was president of one of the great superpowers of the world, he, like you and I, was totally dependent on God. This was the vital lesson that Israel had to learn those 40 years. God had fed them with heavenly food, verse 3, so that they would learn that they needed not just physical nourishment, but spiritual nourishment so that they would learn to uh, lean on him, not themselves. He even made their clothes last beyond their sell-by date. I sometimes put on my grandfather's suit. You may see me wearing it occasionally on a Sunday. It looks brand spanking new. It's 56 years old. You couldn't buy a suit that lasts that long these days. But you know what God is saying here is that he is saying that he will make things last that cannot last. Imagine walking for 40 years. 
I can't walk for 40 minutes. But imagine walking for 40 years and your feet not getting sore and blistered. God did that. And that was the tough lesson that he was making them learn. And it's also vital for you and I, isn't it, that we learn the same message? We live in a very self-dependent society, don't we? It's all about me and how I can be reassured by myself, my job, my self-worth, what I can bring in. But actually, these words say that it's God who's done all that for us. God gives us these things to make us learn. He, give, he gave the Israelites those lessons so that they would learn. And it may well be that if we forget him, if we start trying to live ourselves in our own strength, then we may too face our own school of discipleship, which may well be very tough. But you know what? Uh, people often say God, God gives us tough love because he's vindictive. Because he's, he's like a, a vindictive headmaster who wants us to do everything his way. Just look at verse 5 with me. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It is out of love that God put his people through that tough classroom in the desert. It is out of love that he will discipline you and me. That discipline may not feel good. It may not have felt good this year. But God disciplines us so that we grow stronger, so that we grow spiritually, so that we become more dependent on him. Some of you may have heard of the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was uh, one of the church leaders in the uh, Second World War. And uh, he was imprisoned by the Nazis and he was martyred in 1945. He wrote these words from his prison cell. And I can tell you that his prison cell was no picnic. He said this, Much as I long to be out of here, I don't believe that a single day has been wasted. Something is bound to come out of it. We shall come out of it much strengthened we shall come out of it much strengthened and that must be yours and my prayer if we've been going through a tough school this last year if we have been going through trials this past year I don't know what uh, tough lessons you may have been learning this year I know what some of you have been going through this year and it has been pretty tough indeed but God has brought you through it you may still be going through it. In which case, just remember this, God is faithful to each and every one of us in the good times and the bad times. And we must remember those lessons that he's been teaching us. Let none of them go to waste. Because, you see, when life gets easier, we will become complacent, won't we? We will become self-dependent rather than God-dependent. You see, these lessons that Israel was learning, these lessons that you may have been learning, that you may learn this year, they're life-saving lessons that we must never forget. And so as we look back at the end of one year, as we begin another, let's resolve to remember those lessons of the past year. Let's resolve to remember God's lessons in the past. It may be that, that when you get home tonight, 
you may want to just uh, use the box at the bottom of uh, point number one just to write down some of the lessons that God has taught you so that you don't forget them, so that you continue to remember them and you keep on track with him, trusting him. So something to remember in the past. Next, something to remember, God's grace in the present. Remember God's grace in the present, verses 6 to 18. This is the second part of uh, Moses' sermon. And uh, in it he goes on to tell them what God is doing for them there and then. And what he will be doing now as they enter the promised land. And once again, they're to observe and walk in God's commands. Do you see that? Verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. That's when remembrance begins. But he says it continues as we remember God's grace in the present. Listen to verses 7 through to 9. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. One minute, this, this, this bedraggled group of people, they're in the desert and God is having to give them water out of rock. God is giving them absolutely everything. They're totally dependent on him. They've learned that lesson. The next, they are in a land that is overflowing with everything and anything they could possibly want. And of course, therein lies the problem. Because they then suddenly begin to forget the Lord. Because life is easy. They think that they have no need of him. And Moses knows this, so he says, verse 10, When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you today. You see, again, it's it's not about God lording it over us, saying, hey, look what I've done for you, aren't I brilliant? But it's actually about us realising that he is the one who gives us absolutely everything. It's all down to his grace in the present Otherwise, you see, what is going to happen, verse 12? When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your hearts will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. Easy to do, isn't it? When you get your exams, when you pass your exams, when you get your job, when you start making some money, when you buy your first house, when life is going so well, well, God just gets banished to a small corner of our lives. And you know what? God has done everything for that uh, nation. He's done everything for you and me. Verse 14, they're reminded that he saved them. God saved you and I in and through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Verse 15, he's led them and sustained them even when they rebelled. He's done exactly the same for you and me. Verse 16, he fed them to humble them. So that they're again, once again, reminded of those lessons of the past. Lessons that Moses knows they'll forget because they'll become proud. And they'll say, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I wonder how many of us have said that to ourselves as we've looked at our bank account. I wonder how many of ourselves have said that as we've walked into our homes this Christmas. Through the door. Seeing all that we've got, all the presents that we've been given. And said, wow, 
Aren't I fantastic? We may not have said that, but we certainly may not and probably did not say thank you, God, for everything. We become proud. That uh, same missionary that I mentioned earlier, uh, he also had trouble in translating the word for pride. And uh, he eventually used one of the native phrases. He learned that uh, when the natives say that someone's ears are too far apart, well, you know, it means they've got a big head. Yeah? You think that it's all up to you. Your head has grown. You think that you're the one that's done everything. And Moses cautions them then, and he cautions you and I tonight. He says, listen, verse 18, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. You know, it seems so perverse, doesn't it? Moses is speaking to people who should have learnt. Their parents had died because they had become complacent and proud. You'd have thought that uh, they'd have learnt from the lessons of the desert. And no doubt the Israelites felt, as Moses was teaching them, that he was teaching them to suck eggs. They'd learnt that there was no danger of them falling into the same pattern as their parents. But they did. And you and I will do also. We may think tonight that, well, those Israelites, they were rebellious. I'm not like them. You may think that yourself. I'm not like them. I'm not going to forget the Lord. But we will do. We will do. And if you're saying that you won't, you don't know the sinfulness of your heart and my heart. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts when you hear God's word. Because you and I can just as well become proud and complacent. But we must remember God's grace in the present. Make sure that day by day we give thanks to him regularly. Not just once or twice. There are lots of reasons to do it. I wonder, I'm not going to take a straw poll, but I wonder how many of us actually say grace before a meal. You may think it's something of the past. Uh, when we got married, Ali and I said that we're going to do it every single time we have a meal. Not because we want to make ourselves look good, but sometimes it's hard to when you have uh, non-Christians in your home, people who don't believe in Jesus. But actually, it's a great reminder to us, and it also tells them who it is that provides everything. It's great that before you go to work, thank God for your work. Before you go shopping, before you zip out into the uh, sales that are on, Apparently there are something like a hundred, am I right in saying a hundred thousand people through Meadow Hall today? I think it was something horrendous like that. Massive, massive number. People crowding in. And I'll bet very few of them thanked God for the money and for the things that they bought. Let's not forget, let's not forget God and praise him for everything. Praise him for our salvation. Praise him for sustaining us. Praise him for our hope of that promised land in and through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, no one ever sets out to give up on being a Christian. You don't suddenly wake up in the morning and think, oh, I've just been Jesus today. No, that won't be the problem. It'll just be that little by little it just creeps into our lives. And one one day we just give up and say, Yeah, I once went to church, but I just can't be bothered to go today. 
It happens gradually as we stop thanking and praising God and reading his word. We become self-dependent. Here's an alarming statistic for you. Uh, When I was at university and on the CU exec, uh, it was told to us that 60% of the CU exec, that's the committee that run the CU, 60% of them within two years of leaving their posts would have left Christ. That is an alarming statistic. So, friends, as I say these words tonight, it doesn't give me great glee to say them. But let us remember God's grace in the present so that we don't become proud, but that we continue to give thanks and praise. Let us be those who are fervent in prayer for ourselves and for one another, for Christ church forward. Woe betide if we become uh, complacent as individuals, but woe betide too if we become complacent as a church. So again, as you go home tonight, you may want to use that uh, second box for reminders as to how you need to go on thanking and praising God as you leave 2009, as you begin 2010. Because we are all susceptible to forgetting God's grace day by day and so to facing his punishment. Yes, facing his punishment. You see, that is where we are taken by Moses in these final two verses. We're provided with a great motivation not to forget the Lord. Thirdly then, remember God's judgment in the future. Verse 19, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord. Wow. Just imagine that final day when you come face to face with God. What will you receive from him? his welcome or his wrath. If we have not forgotten him, if by his mercy we have kept going, then we will be recipients of his grace and his welcome. You see, this is why forgetting God is such a big thing. This is where complacency leads. It brings us home to the, it brings home to us the dangers of complacent hearts. You see, if, if yours and my hearts grow hard, If your heart grows hard over the next few days, weeks and months, we will not turn to the Lord. We will turn away from him. And we will not receive the place that he is offering us. Do you see how it works? Do you see how and why Moses was so concerned for his contemporaries? It's simply this, that yours and my attitude and our actions towards God over the long term will reveal where you and I stand with him. Whether we're going to be treated, verse 5, as his sons and children, or verses 19 and 20 as his enemies. And so for that reason, you and I may need to keep on fighting and fighting and fighting complacency. And I suggest as you return home tonight, just use the third box for the ways in which you, you need to be reminded to keep on fighting. Or even to start fighting. Or to look out. But as I close, just a a final word of encouragement, because I know that these words can sound quite hard to us. If you're a Christian person here tonight, someone who is trusting in Jesus for your forgiveness and your right standing with God on that day of judgment, then remember this one last thing. We don't fight this battle on our own. We don't fight complacency on our own. God is with us. That is the message of Christmas, isn't it? 
Emmanuel, God with us. He will never abandon us. And when we fail, he will always be merciful as we come back to, us, back to him. He will forgive us. You see, that's why uh, I had uh, that, those verses from Hebrews read to us. It's very helpful, isn't it? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, I don't know what 2010 will hold for you. I don't know what 2009 held for you or for many of you. But one thing I do know is that none of us can afford to be complacent. Not as we start into 2010, nor as we go on into it. Because you see, the only way that you and I will reach heaven reach that promised land that God has set there for us is if we return time and again to God for mercy and forgiveness. If we remember the lessons of the past, remember God's grace in the present and remember God's judgment in the future. Let's pray, shall we? moment just to think about where we stand with God and whether we are being complacent a moment to turn to him our heavenly father we come to you tonight we're very much aware that you know the state of our hearts far better than we do you know those of us that are walking rightly with you. And for such people, Lord, please keep them free from pride. Keep them dependent on you. You know those who are wavering, those who are already beginning bit by bit to forget you. Please be merciful, Lord. Please, as they, would you cause them to turn back to you now? We pray that none may have to face great lessons and trials in order to be brought back to you. And Father, for those who have perhaps never walked with you, please may they see the, the great reason for doing so, your love and your promise of eternity with you in heaven. Please may each of us respond appropriately to you now, Lord. Please work in our hearts and please walk with us and help us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.